we finished up a sermon series that we were in for about eight weeks, and uh, today we're going to take a little bit of a turn. I'm uh, going to spend some time kind of as a family, uh, have like a family chat. Um, I've preached a similar message to this. It's called Unify. Um, you may recognize some of what I'm going to say today, uh, but for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be a unified body, what it means to be the church and what God expects from us all as we serve him together. So from time to time, you know, it's good to sit down as a family and just talk about where we are, where we are, what our what our um, what our values are, what our goals are, where we're going in the future, and um, to just kind of lay those things out to make sure that we're on the same page, to make sure that we're all going the right direction. Uh, this past summer, my family and I went on a trip to Tennessee. We got a four-week sabbatical. We spent three of those weeks in Tennessee. And one particular day, we went whitewater rafting. I don't know if you've ever been whitewater rafting. Um, if, if you're in Colorado and you whitewater raft, it can be rather um, cold. The water is freezing. We were in Tennessee, so the water wasn't that cold. We had a great time. Uh, it was phenomenal, actually. We, and if you ask my kids what they love most about our trip, they love the whitewater rafting. But we were in this boat, and we had a guide, and the guide sits at the back of the of the little raft, and... So she gave us instructions. She said, um, I'm going to call out the instructions and I need you to make sure that you do what I tell you to do. OK, so everybody has a ra- uh, an, uh, 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 an oar. So everybody has a paddle. And there are, you know, a couple of us on this side, a couple on this side. We had one that didn't particularly um, participate in the rowing. OK, she was up front, sitting right in the very front of the of the, the raft and. So she said, for those of you on the left, if I say um, left, forward three times or something like that, then we would knew that those of us on the left would row three times on the left. And then she would do the same thing for those on the right. And she might say, I need you to to row backwards uh, two rows or something like that. We're supposed to do what she said to do. Because doing what she said to do would get the raft going where she wanted it to go. But there were a couple of times that some of us would do the opposite of what she said. I don't know why I did that. I mean, I don't know why we did that. It just happened that way. I was, I was a little, I mean, we were a little stressed out. And so we'd be, you know, on these, on these rapids and I would start rowing one way and she'd say, Brian, I need you to. And she'd tell me what to do. And I was, I'm sorry. First couple of times, you know, it was kind of comical. Um, after that, you could tell she was really getting frustrated because when we would row the opposite direction, I mean, I'm at the front, I'm looking to where we need to go. And my nature is to row where we need to go and not to take directions from other people. But you know what I always say? Um, you can't be a good leader if you can't be a good follower and, um, taught me a lot of lessons. Anyway, that's not the sermon today. The sermon is this. She got frustrated because when I would paddle against where she wanted me to paddle, she couldn't get the raft to go where it needed to go to give us the best experience possible. And so that illustration is true of a lot of things that we experience in life. One person um, said it this way, said, um, if you can get everyone in your organization rowing in the same direction, you will conquer every, every adversary in every place every time. So unity, as we row together, is important. 
Unity. It's rowing the same direction, doing what we are told to do. Not, um, yes, from the pastor, but not so much from the pastor as we are as we are commanded to follow and paddle in the same direction according to God's word. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about here today, because where there is unity, nothing is impossible. Where there is unity, nothing is impossible. You see it in the Bible a lot of times in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 11, you'll see that there are these people that were trying to build a tower. It's the Tower of Babel. They're trying to build this tower and their goal. um, So they had a goal, but their goal was to make a name for themselves. And God intervened. And what God said was, as he saw them in their their pride, he said, I've got to do something because they were they are unified. And because of their unity, nothing will be able to stop them. And so there's a lesson for us as we begin this morning. A unified people is an unstoppable force. A unified people is an unstoppable force. In Psalm 133, verse one, it says, how wonderful and present uh, pleasant is it when brothers live together in harmony. So there is there is uh, there's something pleasant about being in unity, being in harmony together. It's also important because uh, in an organization, in a church or a team, it's more important to have unity than to have the most talented players. The past couple of years, you'll notice if you if you watch football, I watch football sometimes. What's so funny? I watch football like I've got NFL Sunday ticket because it was free with my cable. It is like awesome because every anyway, that's not the sermon. The Seattle Seahawks the last couple of years have really been an unstoppable force. Um, last year, they be, be beyond odds. I mean, they overcame a lot of odds. They had a rookie quarterback. And what you see is because they had unity, they went to the playoffs and ultimately went to the Super Bowl and they they won because they had unity on their team. It was um, it was an unbelievable thing. They had brilliant coaches. They had talented players. But what they really had was they had an unstoppable force because of their unity. This year, it's a little bit different. They have the same coaches. They have many of the same players. But one thing they've lost in their locker room is the unity. They've lost a little bit of the unity. This season has been more of a struggle. Um, I thought that they lost to the Dallas Cowboys because the Cowboys were so awesome. No, it's just because they didn't have a lot of unity, which is a bummer for me. But I've got to admit the truth, right? Um, so they're, they're not having the season this year that they were having last year. And so unity was is huge in the team dynamic. Well, we're in a season of uh, in our church life where we have to make sure that we are unified, that we're going the same direction, that we're all rowing the same way. And there are a couple of things I want to show you in Scripture that show us just how powerful unity is. In John chapter 17, Jesus talked about unity. Jesus talked about unity. He said, I've manifested your name to the people. He's talking to God, he's praying. This is at the end of Jesus' ministry. To the very end of his ministry, he is about to die. He's about to go away. He is in chapter 14. He's kind of uh, letting his disciples know that this is the very end of their earthly relationship. And he says to God, I've manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Verse 7. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. So he had revealed who he was. He was the son of God. And he's revealing that to the people. 
They bought it hook, line, and sinker. They're in. They're all in. They're unified with him. And now it's coming to an end. He's praying to the Father. So uh, it says, and they have believed that you sent me. Verse 9, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Verse 11, he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And he goes on to the next several verses. He talks about truth. He talks about um, uh, them being sanctified in truth. And then he comes to verse 23. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So he's talking about how God's people, how the people that followed him, namely his disciples, those who chose to follow him, those who um, took up the cross, died to themselves and said, hey, you're the Lord, you are the Savior, you're the Messiah. I believe it. I'm leaving everything else behind and I'm coming to follow you. Those those are the people that he's talking about. He's talking about the saints, the those who are, are saved and those who would become the church, that he would make us one, perfectly one. And so that's why he prayed for unity, because he was on a mission. And the only way the mission could be accomplished is through the power of unity. And so let me show you this. The truth about unity is this. Number one, we are organically diverse. And what that mean is, means is, is that by nature, you and I are different. Look at the person next to you and you'll, you'll see, hey, we're different. Male and female. Some of us have hair, some of us don't. Some of us have black hair, blonde hair, gray hair. Uh, some of us have hair coming out our ears and nose. It just happens that way, right? So we're, we're all different. We're all at different stages of life. We have different personalities, different characteristics. There are a lot of things that are different about us, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different languages that we speak. So we are organically diverse. And one thing that Jesus witnessed about his disciples is that they were different. And because they were different, they had this inherent selfishness about them. Does anybody in here struggle with selfishness? Cool. Because I do too. I didn't want to be the only one. We struggle with selfishness. The disciples, they struggle with selfishness. And here's, here's an example of their selfishness. Jesus was leading them into Jerusalem. And this was the last hour of his life, okay? The, the last few days that he had left to live on this earth. And he's saying, hey, we're going to go there and I'm going to be, I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to endure a lot of suffering. Um, and they've got the idea that he's going to die and he's going to go to heaven. So a couple of them come to him and say, hey, hey, we know you're going to die and we know where you're going. But hey, we just have this one request. Uh, and what we're asking of you is, is that you do anything that we ask you, okay? Okay, what do you have? Well, we just want to ask that when, when we get into your glory, that one of us sits on your right hand and the other one is on the left. That's all they were concerned about. They were just concerned about who was going to be the greatest among the disciples. Who was going to get to sit up the right hand of Jesus when he was sitting on his throne. We struggle with that a little bit today, don't we? We struggle with, hey, we, we want to make sure that we are important. We want to make sure that everybody knows about it. We want to make sure that everybody knows our name. 
We want to make sure that we've made an impact and it doesn't go unnoticed. And that's the way they were. He saw and he noticed their their selfishness. And so, you know, he said that that's that's not mine to give. That's not mine to give. I can't I can't give you that position. It's already reserved for someone else. It'll be for the one that the father sees fit to sit there. And his prayer for them is that they would just be one, that they wouldn't be selfish. They wouldn't have their own agenda, but that they would just be one. And so what he saw is that they were organically diverse. Something else he saw in them is in something else that he knew about uh, the power of unity is that there was an intrinsically dynamic force behind unity. And the force is this, is that I can if I can get all these people who are organically diverse and different in every way to come together. And be one, we've really accomplished something here and we can change the world. And so Jesus knows the power of unity. You know who else knows the power of unity? Satan knows the power of unity. Satan knows the power of unity. And because he knows the power of unity, he does everything he can to sow discord in the church and to divide God's people. If he can divide God's people, he can disrupt God's work. Uh, it goes deeper than the church. Um, look inside your own home. Look inside your your marriage. If if Satan can can sow discord and divide husband and wife, he can disrupt the work that God's trying to do in your marriage. What is what is the purpose of marriage? Does anybody have a philosophical answer for that question? It's a companion, soulmate. Hey, everybody over here has all the answers. How about somebody over here? Accountability. Hey, there are a lot of reasons for marriage. Is anybody are you, are you happy in your marriage? Anybody unhappy in your marriage? No, don't answer that question. <laughs> answer that later today. All right. Go home and tell your spouse. Don't tell me first. Hey, God doesn't bring us into marriage to make us happy. He brings us into marriage to make us holy. So we're growing and we're, you know, there's there's this uh, friction that takes place and he's knocking off the edges and he's making us into this masterpiece that he wants us to be in our in our marriages. It's about personal and individual transformation. That's one reason for marriage. That's not the only reason, but that's the ground level foundational reason for marriage is God is all about relationship. But what Satan wants to do is Satan wants to divide us because if he can divide, he can conquer. That's why the Bible says that he's like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. But you notice the nature of a lion. He doesn't attack the whole group. He attacks the one that he pulls away from the group and isolates and gets them alone. That's when he pounces and takes them as his next meal. And that's what that's what the enemy wants to do. In our lives, he wants to isolate us, get us alone so he can pounce on us and take us as his next meal. Hey, we don't want that. We don't want that in our marriage. We don't want that in our friendships. We don't want that in any relationship. We don't want that in the church. We want God to have power in the church and where there is where there is unity, there is power. Satan knows the power of unity, but God knows the power of of unity and he uses that power of unity to conquer the world with a simple message called the gospel 
And what he has called us to do is to be unified. And so there are four things I'm going to talk to you about real quick and we're going to be done. I said real quick. All right. Number one is we got to protect our unity. We got to protect it. It's the one thing Jesus prayed for his disciples is that that God would help them to be one as they are one. And that means to have the same mind, the same heart, the same goal as Jesus. Do you live your life like that? Do your dreams and your goals and your life's mission and purpose, does it line up with the same thing that Jesus had for his heart, his goals, his um, his pursuit in life? It's actually to connect with the heart of the Father, to have the heart of the Father. But we've got to protect our unity. And so we have to ask the question, well, how do we how do we do that? Well, first of all, we have to understand what the mission is. What is the mission? What's the end goal? Well, our goal is to make disciples. That's what he's called us to do is to make disciples. We're called to glorify God in everything that we do. But what he's called us to the task, the mission is to make disciples. You know what a disciple is? It's a follower. It's a learner. It's a student. It's someone else who's going to come along and follow after Christ and become like him. Our mission is to make disciples. That's what we do here. We have a lot of people that say, hey, um, we're just not we're not doing it. We're not doing enough. We're not really making a difference. But let me tell you something. I'm the world's most impatient person. Hands down. Ride with me in traffic. You'll find out or ask my wife. She'll tell you I'm very impatient. I struggle. I'm, I'm a very results driven type of person. It's hard for me not to see the results that I want and not to see them quickly. Uh, it's my nature to want to bail out when the results aren't coming, when the numbers aren't there, when the when the uh, the money's not there, whatever it is, it's my nature to just want to bail because I want the results. But here's what I know about the kingdom of God. Here's what I know about church growth. Here's what I know about personal growth. It's a process. It's a process. And we're called to make disciples. We're called to make disciples. And that what that means is we're called to plant seeds in soil. In fertile soil, where we'll see that seed take root and begin to blossom and to one day bear fruit. Heather and I uh, gave me a great illustration. There's this tree in my front yard. Uh, we bought our house about five years ago, and it's right after Hurricane Ike came through here and uh, devastated a lot of things, a lot of homes. Uh, we had two huge trees in the front yard before we bought this house, and uh, both of those trees where they, they fell over during the storm. And so when we bought the house, we had one tree in the front yard, and that tree was a twig. Literally, it, it was like somebody took a stick and just stuck it in the ground and held it up with some T-post and some wire so it wouldn't blow over. You know what? We didn't walk by that tree every day and think, man, that tree grew today, or that tree grew today, or that tree grew this week or this month. But year after year, you walk by and say, hey, man, that, that tree grew a little bit. You walk, go by my house right now, and that tree is a big tree. I mean, you can literally climb the tree because it's grown over time. And it produces great fruit, i.e. acorns, okay, and a lot of leaves. That's the fruit uh, that it produces. That's what it was meant to produce, and that's what it produces. It's doing its job. But it didn't always do that. It took time. It's a process. And so our goal, our job, is to make sure we understand what the mission is to make disciples and to love one another. 
It's what he says. Look at this. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you... What? That you love one another. Can we put that on the screen, please? John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you love one another. That's our witness. That's our testimony is that we love one another. And there's something different about people who are different that love each other differently. And that different kind of love is loving you not based on the fact that you are like me, but I love you based on the fact that you are different than me. I respect the differences. I, disp- I, I respect the fact that you are gifted differently. You look differently. You talk differently. You're from a different culture. You're going a different direction, but I love you anyway because we are mutually bonded because of the love of Christ. He says in Colossians chapter 3, that we are to put away all these things. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so to maintain unity, we got to put away some things like gossip and malice and slander and selfishness. And we've got to grab on to the fact that God's created us all differently, but he's put us on the same path for the same mission. And we've got to love each other because that's our mission. That's the bait. You understand? That's the bait. If you're going fishing, you've got to have some good bait, right? I'm not much of a fisherman, but I do know you've got to have some good bait. And I do know that chicken livers will catch catfish. I do know that. And I do know that love between two people will catch the attention of a lot of people who are looking for love and acceptance and community and care. I know it will. I know it does. I've seen it. And it's life-changing. The greatest bait that we can use to catch people for the kingdom is love. So we've got to protect our unity and know that's what we're about. Number two, we've got to share responsibility. We've got to share responsibility. Shared responsibility equals partnership. Okay? Shared responsibility equals what? Partnership. Can we say that together? Shared responsibility equals partnership. What is partnership? It's when two people come together to advance a mutual interest. They have mutual interest in something. They come together and we're going to get on a plan and we're going to advance this thing. And what we call it is the kingdom of God. We have a mutual interest in the kingdom of God. We have a relationship together through Jesus Christ. And we are called basically to the same thing. Not all to the same people. Not all to the same part of the earth. Not all to do exactly the same thing. But ultimately we have the same goal of advancing the kingdom of God. That happens through discipleship. Leading one another. Preaching the gospel. The way we put it is, is we broke it into an, into ease. And there are five of them. Number one is to exalt Christ in all we do. Okay? That's number one. The second is to engage culture with the gospel. The gospel is a very simple message that Jesus Christ it was sinless, came from the Father, right? He's sinless man, lived upon this earth. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and spent three days in the tomb. He was resurrected on the third day. And then he ascended to the Father. 
Physically, that's where Jesus is today. So engaging people with that message is life-changing. Third is encouraging one another in authentic biblical community. Community is just another word for relationship. Want to encourage one another. I bet you could use some encouragement today after the week you had. And I bet you could use some encouragement today knowing you got to go back and do it tomorrow. Right? So encouragement. We're here to encourage each other through life. And then it goes like this. The next E is to equip. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what Ephesians chapter 4 says. It says the ministry is not laid on the pastor. It's not laid on the apostles or the prophets or the evangelists. Their job is to equip. The work of the ministry is laid to the people to do the work of the ministry. And that's how we see maturity, that we all grow into maturity. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And then once we're equipped, then we're empowered to go and do the ministry. So we're equipped and then empowered. Once we're growing and we're, we're, we're coming into maturity as a believer, into the fullness of Christ is the way it puts it, then we're empowered to go and lead others. You know what? To equip someone and to empower them, to grow them into to fully mature disciples. You know what that takes? It takes commitment. It takes hard work. And it takes time. It takes time. And we're committed to the hard work. And we're committed to time. We're committed to a process. Our goal is not to build a big church in Pasadena, Texas. Our goal is to make disciples for the kingdom of God who will make disciples for the kingdom of God who will make disciples for the kingdom of God who will make disciples for the kingdom of God. And everybody said, Amen. That's what we're committed to. That's what we're called to. That's what we're committed to. But we're also committed to sharing the responsibility of praying for one another, of caring for one another, bearing the burdens of one another, of confessing our sins to one another. Of not kicking people to the curb when they're caught in sin, but going and pulling them out and ministering to them and saying, hey, you got a second chance. God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is good. God's grace is for you. And we restore and we help and we put marriages back together. We help people rebuild their lives. That's what we're about. That's the responsibility that we're given. Okay, so we share the responsibility. Number three is be fruitful. Be fruitful. What does it mean to bear fruit? Well, essentially, it's becoming like Jesus. It's becoming like Jesus. Uh, Spiritual fruit will show itself in our lives over time. Just like the tree in my front yard. Over time, it'll start to bear fruit. And it comes out in our character. It comes out in our new nature that the Spirit of God puts inside of us. And so what you'll see happen is that His purpose becomes your purpose. His heart will become your heart. The love that He loves with will be the same kind of love that you love with. Galatians 5.22, this is fruit, okay? So this is the greatest gauge of how you are progressing in your walk with Christ right here. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. I got some work to do in that area. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. It's self-control. 
got some work to do in that area. And some of these, I don't really know what they look like. I just know that uh, patience and self-control, those are huge for me. How about peace? Anybody struggle with peace in your life? Paul said this. He said that his goal was this. To whatever state he finds himself in, to just be content. Because it's our nature to just want more. To want something bigger. To want something better. Um, to just be peaceful and content with what God is, has given you. Um, that's, uh, that should be our goal. To love people. To love better should be our goal. These should be what we look at to see how we're progressing in our walk with Christ. And so to be fruitful, you have to discover your gifts. What has God gifted you to do and to be? Is it teaching? Is it uh, giving? Um, is it leading? Is it helping? There's a, there are several lists in the New Testament about spiritual gifts and the giftings that he gives each and every person to be worked out, not within the walls of a church building, but to be worked out among the people who are called the church. Did you know that this building is not a church? This building is a building. But us together, the word church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia, which means assembling or the called out ones. We're called out to come together to be unified for one purpose, one heart, one mind, for one mission. And so you find out how you're gifted and then you're equipped to serve. Serving. Let me talk about this for a minute. Serving confuses a lot of people. We even have a list. We have a list of about 48,000 things that you could do um, inside the context of the church. People come to me on Sunday morning and say, hey, man, I want to I want to serve. Well, there are very few ways that you can serve on a Sunday morning in our church because we're not a building based uh, service organization. That's not, that's not who we are. The greatest opportunity to serve is in a life group. That meets throughout the week. You can get into a life group. You build a relationship with people. And there are opportunities to use your gifts to serve people. There are opportunities to volunteer, however, on a Sunday morning. You can volunteer to work back here with our tech team that, that kind of runs all that you see. The lights and the screens and the words on the wall. All, that, all those kind of things. There's an opportunity to serve on the worship team to sing, to play an instrument. You can serve or volunteer that way. Um, there's opportunity to, to make coffee. Um, you can volunteer in that way. You can volunteer to be a greeter, to welcome people as they come in. It's a very important that we have people who welcome others into our fellowship on Sunday morning, make them feel welcome here. Uh, you can volunteer to work security to make sure all of our kids are safe back in the back as they uh, go through their Bible study lessons in their classrooms. You can volunteer to teach them. Uh, on Sunday morning, you can volunteer to work in the nursery. You let me say that again. You can volunteer to work in the nursery. I should have hit record to, 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 to record the chuckles. Hey, can we do this again? Can we push record so Stacy can hear that? Hey, I know that nobody wants to do that. But do you know how important that is? Do you know how important it is? Maybe I should just preach a message on that one thing. 
In fact, I think we have one. Can we play that? Can we play that message? Didn't she do a good job with that? Awesome. So, take out your Get Connected card and say, I volunteer to work with kids. And she will equip you and empower you to do that. All right? That's just one way. But the reason we showed the video is because she desperately needs your help. Okay? Desperately needs your help. We have some people that spend um, two to three Sundays out of four working with the kids. But if we all pitched in as a, in a partnership, they could do that once every month or once every other month. The more we have, uh, the more time people can spend uh, worshiping and not having to to serve and and work with the kids. And that's not a bad thing, but it does wear on you when you have to do it week after week after week. All right. We want to make sure that they get filled up and they get taught and they get led and they're able to connect in here just like they connect back there. So we want to ask you for your help in that area, okay? So sharing the responsibility and uh, and serving have a lot of different connotations. It mean a lot of different things to different people. When you're here on Sunday morning, we call it volunteering. When you're in your your life group and you're using your gifts to minister to other people, this is kind of the way I put it when you talk about serving. It's knowing where you're gifted. It's actively walking and living in the Spirit and intentionally and spontaneously Acting on behalf of another. It's intentionally and spontaneously acting on behalf of another. So we're asking you to understand the difference between serving and volunteering. And uh, allow God to use you in both areas. All right? So share the responsibility as the body of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4 says this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. There's one last thing. Number four is support the ministry. Support the ministry. How do we support the ministry? Well, there are two or three ways that you can do that. Number one is by your attendance. By your attendance. There, uh, the church is kind of the way we want to explain it as a two-winged bird, all right? 
Um, you have your Sunday morning gathering, and then we have your group gathering that meets throughout the week. And your attendance to both is vital. We want you to come and be filled up and connect with the family all together. And then we want you to get with your life group. If you're not connected to a life group, let us know. We want to help you get connected. And at least make that commitment to, to go to a life group three or four or five times before you decide, hey, this this is not for me or, hey, this is for me, whatever. Commit to it for about a month before you make that decision of, hey, um, uh, maybe this isn't for me. We want you to understand what a life group is for. It's for discipleship. It's for growth. It's for connection. It's to be loved on. It's to be cared for. It's to learn God's word. It's to pray together. But your attendance is um, is vitally important. Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering. The confession of our hope is a relationship through Jesus Christ. He died for us. He forgives us of our sin. He lives inside of us. And we're called to do his work here on the earth. And one day we're going to die. Or he's going to come back and receive us to himself. That where he is, there we may be also. As John 14 puts it. Until that day comes, we're holding fast to this hope. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another. And so much the more is as you see the day approaching. So your attendance is important. Uh, Second is by your lifestyle. People watch you. People see how you live. You may think that you're invisible, but you're not. If you're a father, if you're a mother, if you're a grandparent, you have little ones who are watching you. Your spouse, your children uh, are watching you. If, um, if they're not watching you, then someone at work is watching you. And they hear what you profess. They know what you claim to be. They know where you attend church. That's what we told our son. You know, our son, um, he, uh, we don't let him out in public very much. But here's what we did the other day. So he went to a birthday party. And he, he tends to be hyper and impulsive. And to just, in the snap of a finger, he'll make a decision. It's just a wrong decision. Hey, I understand that. I understand that. I'm, I'm that way still in a lot of ways in my own life. But this is what we told him. Hey, you represent something other than yourself. You represent the Lambert family and the Lambert name. Do not disappoint. There you have it. That's it. It's pretty simple. It works very well. And let me tell you why. It works very well. I, I, I suggest that you tell your kids that. And that you hold them to the standard. Because let me tell you something. When they know that mom and dad stand for something, they'll stand for it. If that, if that is the expectation that is set. You set the expectation, you hold to the expectation, you drive that expectation into your kids, and they'll do it. If they don't, then there are consequences for those actions. It's plain and simple. It's easy to be a parent. It's easy. Simple. Not really, all the time. But you know what? He went, he understood. We didn't just tell him that once. We told him throughout the week. Heather told him, I told him, we told him together because we knew, we knew that there was a possibility that he'd get out there and, and, you know, cause some trouble. We'd get a phone call, have to go pick him up. Hey, it happened to me when I was a kid. 
He's his father's son. But you know what? He didn't disappoint. It worked. It's the same way with our church. Listen, we don't just represent Clearpoint Church. Though we do represent Clearpoint Church. We represent the Savior of the world. We represent Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We represent grace. We represent love. Sometimes the only love people see is the love that comes from us. And it's a bad testimony of what love is. Jesus said, love one another. Love one another. If you're going to make disciples, love one another. Because more than they're looking at what we do, they're looking at what we say. we got to understand who we represent. we got to understand that. I always like to tell this story. Alexander the Great. I read this back when I was like 21. It always stuck right here. Alexander the Great was a great leader. Uh, conquered, conquered the world. Uh, you look at much of what we do and how we live our life today is because of Alexander the Great. Look him up. Read about him. He's a strong leader. He had this young soldier who was to be on night watch. He came around by the post where this young man was supposed to be watching and, you know, keeping guard that night. And the young soldier was asleep. He woke him up and he said, hey, what's your name, son? He said, my name is Alexander, sir. He said, let me ask you that question again. What's your name, son? My name is Alexander, sir. He said, I'm going to ask you that one more time. What's your name, son? He said, sir, my name is Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great looked at him and he said, son, you either change the way you act or you change your name. Because there was certain expectation that came with having the name Alexander. You understand? We wear the name of Christ and there's a certain expectation. Are we wearing the name well? Are we representing well? Are we supporting it well? So we, su- we support it by our attendance. We support it by our lifestyle. And we support it in every other way. By the way we live, by the way we communicate, by the way we do life with people. And listen, there's one area that we're leaving out. We support it with our money. We do. We're called to do it. We're called to be givers. We're called to give to the church. Not to just give to the local church, but we're also called to give to the overall ministry. You know why God gathers people together? Because together we're an unstoppable force. If we pull together all of our resources, all of our giftings, all of our personalities, all of our languages, and all of our financial resources, do you know what kind of a difference the church could make in America? Do you understand? It wouldn't be called Obamacare. It would be God's care. It would be the church's care. We would meet those needs if we had pulled together all of our resources. If God's people would step up and be faithful to what we're called to do. Amen. I believe that. But because we haven't done that, we tend to be weak. And guys, I don't want us to be weak. More than I don't want us to be weak, I don't want you to miss out on all that God has for you. 
So I'm just asking you to be faithful in how you wear the name. Be faithful in who God's called you to be and be faithful in who God and what God's called you to do. Protect our unity. Share the responsibility. Be fruitful and support the ministry. And when we're unified in those things, we'll be an unstoppable force that'll shake the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.